if you've ever asked yourself, why does God uh, let so many bad things happen, um, then you're in a good place here this morning. And so kind of the, the layout, we'll have some points that I'll have for you that you can fill in along our way. I'll share some stories just from my life. I'll share some stories from the Bible of men and women in the Bible and how they have dealt with this question. I'll give you some just scriptural truth, so we're not looking at any one passage, just kind of snippets of passages, and I'll provide you with some next steps. So that's kind of where we're at here this morning. Again, I'm glad that you're here. Um, you know, and you're like me, you're probably waiting to get out of the heat. Um, this past week was pretty miserable. I'm a native to Arizona, and I still hate it, right? When it gets to be above 110, 112, 113, it's not fun. Just period. And I don't know what you do to cool off. Uh, my family and I will be heading to Flagstaff actually this week, so we're excited about that. Uh, and we also, you know, you got to get wet, right? You got to get the kids. We have four small boys, nine to four years old, kind of they're all bunched in there. And my wife's at home with them, and so she does anything and everything she can, right, to make sure these kids stay cool. And so a few summers ago, our neighbor, who was great, he works up at Desert Mountain, he said, look, I have this water slide. They're not going to use it up there. Uh, do you want it? And I said, yeah, that would be great. We don't have a pool. You know, my wife would just kind of go in the back and spray him with a hose. So it's like, this will be a little bit better, a little more humane. Um, and, and my neighbor's like, it's pretty big. You know, we don't have a huge backyard. I'm like, how big could a water slide be? You know, I've seen them. Man, this thing has like an attachment. You plug it in. It's got this blower. It's like a bounce house water slide duo, right? And if you've ever been to my house, it takes up the entirety of the backyard. This thing blows up. It has like a rock wall in the middle. Then it has two slides on the side where water is coming out of. And then it has like a ginormous kiddie pool in the front, okay? And so like the one thing we have in our backyard is a trampoline. So we're like, okay, we got to move this trampoline. Trampoline, giant water slide's not going to do too well together. So we took the legs off the trampoline because we have this awning hanging over. We had to roll the trampoline to the other side of, you know, our backyard and kind of placed it there, you know, for the summer. I'm like, I'm not moving that thing, not touching that thing. We got this cool water slide. So I thought everything was great. And then we started getting these letters in the mail. Uh, we live in Tatum Ranch. And maybe you've got one of these letters. Okay. <laughs> Our homeowners association gave us a nice little reminder. Hey, uh, that trampoline, um, we can see it from the street. I'm thinking, okay, like it's see-through mesh. Like how much of a nuisance can it really be, right? And so I was like, all right, we'll deal with this um, when summer is over. Again, this is last summer. And then we'll, you know, take the water slide down. And we got another letter. Hey, it's going to be $50 now because you ignored that first letter. I'm like, all right, $50. And it's not too bad. I mean, we'll keep this sucker up. And then you kind of forget about it. It comes fall, winter, water slide's gone. We kept getting a few letters, $50. I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, we got to pay that $50. Then it came January of this year, and we get a letter. And this one got our attention. And maybe you've been there. This one, we open it up. It goes, you owe $600. $600 for a trampoline? Like, that we took action, okay? And so my wife, we have our neighbor. She's part of the homeowner association. She's calling her. She's going, you know, to the Tatum Rants Association. Like, what can I do? And they're like, I don't know. Like, it's like it's $600. You owe us because you ignored this fine. You, you thought you could make up the rules here in Tatum Ranch, which that was under my, you know, I thought that was okay. And I'm not that bad of a guy. I thought, hey, a trampoline in the corner of the yard, not so bad but it got us a $600 fine. 
And so maybe you've been there, right? I mean, this is a small example, but we often sometimes think, hey, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty decent person. I can kind of make the rules around here. Even though that Tatum Ranch guy is driving around taking photos of everything, I'll just ignore it, all right? And, and we often, though, do that when it comes, I think, with, with God, right? We think, eh, he'll let this one slide. I've been pretty decent, you know? I kind of give to Mission Grove or do this or that. Like, yeah, God will let these things slide. And so the first point here that we're going to look at is God's not fair because God is good. And often you and I will put our place in God's position. And we think that we get to be the ones to determine what's fair, what's good, what's just, right? And, and even with that small stuff. But the reality is, right, that, that God alone has that place. That God alone is the one who is good, holy, loving. He is the one who spoke and everything came into being. I don't know about you, but I don't hold that place, right? And so the story, a person that comes from scripture is a classic example of Job, right? He's in the midst of a wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and people have been grappling with this question, right? When we think we're good, when we think we can put ourselves in that position, but then when bad stuff happens, we're kind of like, hey, bad stuff, that's only supposed to happen to bad people. And so we wrestle with this. Um, you're kind of left with, what am I supposed to do with that? And I think the reality is we're not in that position to determine that. And there's a sense of humility that we need to recognize. And so Job, you open up the book of Job. I mean, he is this first chapter, righteous guy, loves God, has a wife, has several children. He has this, you know, he's wealthy with flocks and like herds. And yet God has this little, little cosmic conversation with Satan which I'm going to let Pastor John dive into more. I'm not going to go into that. But he, he allows Satan to say, hey, have you ever considered my servant Job? Right? He's righteous. He's upstanding. I'll tell you what. You can go and test him out right? and see if he only loves me because of the things that he has. And by the end of chapter 1, everything that Job has is wiped out. His children, his possessions. And he's left there in the remainder of the book he has these friends that come along, and they keep saying, well, you must have done something bad. You must have done this. They're trying to wrestle with that question. How could this good, upstanding guy have these horrible things happen? And toward the end of the book, I love it. God says to Job, were you there at creation? Were you there when I laid the foundation of things? And it's just that sense of humility, right? Which one of us are able to take that position? Um, to take that place. And so maybe that's a challenge for you where you've said, hey, things aren't fair because I'm trying to, you know, determine the fairness by myself and my own standard, but it's God alone, right, who gets to determine that. Uh, we see this as well in the New Testament with uh, some scriptural examples. The first one from Mark uh, chapter 2, we see Jesus and Mark, he is calling the first disciples. Um, and as he's calling them, he calls Levi a uh, tax collector. And then he goes and he eats with Levi and he eats with other sinners. Um, and then there's the Pharisees and the scribes, right? Those that know the law, know the Bible really well, and who often, you know, kind of take those rules and regulations and want to add a little bit more and want to say, no, it's, it's really this way. And then Jesus says this um, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He says, and when he heard it, that is the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling about him eating, you know, with sinners and tax collectors, 
He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, right? I think when it comes to God's fairness, there's that sense of our humility. Are we willing to take that step and to recognize, right, we don't have to have it together. We don't get to be the judge. We don't get to determine what's good. Uh, It's God alone. And God didn't come for those that had it figured out. He came for those that recognized, hey, I don't have it figured out, right? I'm in a tough spot. Um, Things are difficult. I've messed up. And that's, if you're in that place this morning, that's exactly the place where God says, yeah, I came for you to give you the good news. Another place is in uh, Romans uh, chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is speaking uh, to those Christians in Rome. And there's this dispute going on um, with the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And they're kind of disputing and say, hey, I'm pretty decent. And the other one's saying, no, I'm a little more decent than you. You know, we've been doing this whole God thing for a while. And I love it. Paul enters into that. And he's writing this letter to address it. And in chapter 3, he says, look, I'm going to tell you right now, we're all on the same level here. We're all on the same playing field. And chapter 3 um, Verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I remember hearing this verse in college and just thinking, Oh, none. No one. It didn't leave any wiggle room for me to say, well, yeah, but I'm decent here or I'm okay there. Paul is saying, no, it doesn't matter your background or where you've come from. None of us are righteous. None of us have sought after God. You know, we're not good in, in, in comparison to God as the creator who is loving and holy. Um, and so that the action step for us to take, maybe if this is the, the first step for you, is to be able to say to God, Like, although I am not good, it's to recognize our sinfulness. Do we have that up for you as our next step? Is as simple as that, is to be able to say, okay, I'm not in that position, and to recognize our position in light of who God is, and to recognize that we, although we may not fully understand, um, we need to trust and rely in that goodness of God. And so maybe that's just what you're here for this morning. Maybe you're just like, okay, I can take that step, that step of humility to say, I don't have it together, and I'm not in that place. Uh, But when you're in that place, then it's hard, because then then the tendency is you want to fix it. So either before God, we want to say, hey, I can determine it. I'm okay. I don't need God. And then sometimes when we're saying, hey, yeah, I do need God, then our culture, our upbringings may say, okay, how do I fix it? How do I get my way to God? How do I work that? I can tell you when I got that $600 fine from the HOA, we were on it immediately. How can I fix this? It got my attention. The $50 one, not so much. $600, you better believe it. So we act. We go. What do I need to do? My wife, Priscilla, is on the phone talking to her dad, who is a lawyer. So we're getting legal advice. What do we need to do here with the HOA? She's going outside. Because by this time, the trampoline had been moved. She's taking photos. She's going to Walgreens printing out photos. Because apparently, as she went to the HOA or to her friend that is part of the board, there's like an HOA court 
Like, you can go and bring your complaints if you didn't know that. You know, if you get one of those letters, you, you can go and say, hey, this was not fair, right? Even though I broke this rule, it's still not fair. And so we set a time. We were all set to go to the court and, you know, just in their little HOA clubhouse there. And we walk in there and everyone's like, you know, heads down. They've got their note. They're like coming before this board of people. And we're like sweating. We're like, should we have brought the kids? Like, we've got four small boys. Should we have said, hey, look, like, they love the trampoline. Like, we're trying to think of, like, these sob stories to come up with. We're like, nah, the kids will probably make it worse. We should, so my mom, like, she watches the kids. We, like, get dressed up. We go into the HOA court, and we're there, and we're sweating. And they call the first guy. You tell he's nervous. Like, he, like, mispainted his garage door. And he's like, can I, can I get the, the $50 fine? I'm like, you only got a $50 fine? He's like, can I get that waived? And they're like, we can't, we can't talk about that here. We're, that, that's for after, when everyone leaves. It's like, oh, man, this is very serious here. They call us, Kevin and Priscilla, Deezy. I'm like, yes. And they're like looking at it. There's at least six of them up there, men and women, you know. And we're like, yeah, uh, yeah the trampoline, we got this, this fine for $600. And the other people in the room are like, whew. Like, man, I thought mine was rough. $600. Okay. I'm in good shape, man. Garage door guy is like, keep my $50. I don't care. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking. And they seem a little confused. We're like, yeah. They're like, when did this happen? We're like, it was about eight months ago. They're like, ooh, it's been a while. They're like, well, wh- why were you ignoring it? Well, we just thought it was like the $150. And there's some other guy. You know, he's like the analytical guy. He's like really into the paperwork. He's looking at it. He's real quiet. I'm like, what is this guy doing? He's like, actually, uh, Bob, someone's always named Bob. He's like, Bob, it's uh, not $600. I'm like, oh, thank God, it's less. He's like, it's $1,200. <laughs> yeah, everybody there exactly did that. They're, I'm like, Phew. everyone's like, oh, man, this is great. <laughs> this poor couple. At this point, we're standing. I'm standing in front of them in their table. I'm like, I... I just don't know what to do. Priscilla's taking the photos out. They've got their own photos. I'm like, they're like, yeah, you, it's like that much. I'm like, that's nothing. It's a mesh screen. You can see that. <sighs> I'm like, we got four kids. You know, we're like throwing everything out there. We're like, yes, I get it. We were wrong, okay? And we're willing to pay some fine. $1,200, though? Like, we're in the midst of planning our anniversary trip. I'm thinking, there goes the anniversary trip. Like, there goes this and that and the other. And so we leave because they don't tell us, right, whether or not we get cleared. And so we leave and we go out afterwards and we're just kind of dumbfounded. And we wait. You know, we got to wait a couple weeks. And I remember Priscilla, when she got the, the letter, she sends me this text with a photo of it. And they cleared the whole thing. They forgave our, our HOA debt entirely. And I was like, oh, thank God, right? Like... Man, I was like, get those tickets to that concert we want to go to. Like, we are going out. We are living life. <laughs> like, whoo, we are excited. And immediately, I just thought, man, what a, what a tiny, small, little snippet right, of God's grace and his forgiveness toward us. Like, yeah, $1,200, it's a lot for us. It's not like the end of the world. But I'm like, man, to forgive it entirely? And I just love that, like, 
picture, that imagery, right? Here we are, we're thinking we can be in place of God when we recognize we have this sinfulness, right? And there's nothing that we can do, right? There's no work or no effort that we can do to restore that. God says it's, it's completely forgiven. You don't have to do anything for it. And so if you're taking notes, it's, it's not deserved because God gives us forgiveness instead of judgment. You and I don't deserve that mercy and grace. We stand separated and guilty before God. But he says, I'm going to give you forgiveness. And that judgment, he says, I love you. And I'm going to send my son who's going to take that judgment upon him so that you are completely and totally 100% forgiven. What great and wonderful news. We don't have to figure it out on our own. He just says it's gone. Like it's never, ever happened. And he does that just like we did. It's like, man, now we can, I'm living life. You better believe it. I'm enjoying that anniversary meal because it's like we didn't have that debt to have to pay or work off. He does the same for us, to forgive us so that we can enjoy and live life. A passage, an Old Testament passage for a scriptural truth for us comes from Psalm 103. Uh, It is a a great passage um, to be able to go, uh, a great chapter I encourage you to read the entirety of it, but we're just looking at verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Right? I love that imagery. As high as the heavens are above the earth, and as far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. And you think about that, right? As high as the heavens are above the earth, and as far as the east is from the west. Even in the Old Testament, he is pointing of his grace and his forgiveness that the judgment, right, would fall on his son on the cross. He says, you are completely and totally forgiven. It is gone. He gives it to you so that you can live life. And so the next step is to accept God's forgiveness. If that's you this morning, I'd encourage you, maybe that's for the first time, for us that gather here on a regular basis, we need to hear this too. We need to be reminded that during the week we can't do it. It's not a part of our own effort. That we need that grace and forgiveness that as high as the heavens are above, And as far as the east is from the west, we're forgiven and totally accepted. We're embraced and brought into God's family. And so what great news. Great news that I'm forgiven $1,200 debt, but even greater news, right, that God restores us, uh, that he calls us his beloved children. And so I'd encourage you to take that step if that's what God has brought you here for this morning. So... But if you have taken those steps, and if this is a, a great reminder and kind of a reset for you, you know that it's, it doesn't mean it's easy then. I think I was maybe a little, um, you know, had a misunderstanding when I became uh, committed to Christ um, in my early 20s. I thought, well, hey, I'm a Christian now. Things should be great. Shouldn't have any problems. There shouldn't be any pain or suffering, right? Like, easy sailing from here. Boy, was I wrong, Right? And if you've been there, it's like, what do you do? Yes, we're, we're forgiven. It's completely paid for. But the reality is, 
right? God is restoring all things, but we're still in this broken world. Horrible things still happen, you know, daily and weekly. And so we need a reminder of that. If you're in that place, kind of as Allie mentioned here and Larkin spoke to, um, I want you to know that, that God is with you in the midst of that, right? Um, that you haven't been forgotten. Uh, in my full-time job, uh, I work with a friend of mine who has started several group homes. Um, I'm the program manager. And so I get to see we have nine houses. And some of those houses have kids that are in foster care. Um, some of those kids are in foster care, but they also have a developmental disability. Uh, we work with adults as well with disabilities. But I'm predominantly over uh, the staffing. Um, and so I help oversee the, the management as well as all the staffing, right? And I was just reminded of this, like just the reality, like things seem unfair. The horrible stuff is happening. Just in this past week with our staff, uh, we had this sweet girl. She was so excited to come work for us. She's got a young nine-month-old. And then she had to call me up. She says, I'm actually not going to be able to work for you guys. Uh, my nine-year-old is just not eating. Uh, I went to the doctor this morning. They said, I'm, I'm going to have to be home basically 24-7. I'm going to have to be with my daughter. Um, and you just tell she's heartbroken over this. This has been a long battle, and she was hoping for much better news. And so it's like, you know, she can't work for us. She's there with her nine-month-old. We had a, another young gal who went to the doctor as well, and the doctor said, look, you're going to have to make a choice. You can't work and do school. Your health condition is getting worse. And so she said, look, I already have school full-time paid for, so I'm going to have to quit immediately uh, because of her health concern. Um, we have another gal just, again, this past week who was having a call out of some shifts and say, hey, my father is in hospice. Uh, I need to be there for him. Um, and another gal just struggling because she had a roommate that left her and left her with the rent and the utilities, and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I know as I say this, maybe you're in a position similar to that. You know somebody. It doesn't take much for us to think about somebody, whether they're in our own family, um, whether they're a coworker or a neighbor. Just think like that pain, that suffering is real, right? And, and although like it is great, wonderful news, like we need to recognize our sinfulness, we need to accept God's forgiveness. In the midst of that, sometimes the best thing we can do is just simply be present with people in their hurt and their pain. A beautiful example of this comes from the book of Ruth. A wonderful um, four chapters, a great book from the Old Testament, easy to read, but it just speaks to this truth. Um, you get right into it four or five verses in, and you're like, man, this lady Naomi has gone through a lot. You're right. First, there's this famine in the land, and her and her husband and her children leave from Bethlehem to go over to Moab. And they're there, and while they're there, her children get married, and then she loses her husband. Right? And as this woman, it's like, okay, I've got my sons. I can still be taken care of. I'm okay. But then, again, just a few verses in, it says, the sons had married, and then shortly after, both sons die. It doesn't tell us, it doesn't give us an explanation, but by like four or five verses in, Naomi is left with no husband, no sons. She's in a foreign land. And it's like, man, talk about pain. Talk about suffering. Right? And what is she left to do? She turns to her daughters-in-law and is like, you don't, you don't have to go with me. I don't know what else to do. I've heard that things have gotten better in Bethlehem. 
So I'm going to go and make that journey. And one of the daughters-in-law goes back to her people. But if you know the story, Ruth says, no, I'm going to stick with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Let nothing but death separate us from this. And she makes that journey. She's present with her in the midst of that pain and that suffering and that heartache. And they travel back. And as you read the story, God's not overtly there. He's not making some grandiose, giant, you know, miraculous stuff happen. But he is placing people in the life of Naomi and Ruth. When they get back, I love it, there's a phrase, it just so happens that Ruth goes out to a field to glean. And it just so happens that that field belongs to Boaz. And it just so happens that he happens to be the kingsman redeemer, the one who can restore that family for Naomi. And so it's this beautiful picture that God doesn't forget us, even though it may not be overtly there, we're not hearing him audibly, that he provides for us family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, those people to come alongside of us, to journey with us. And maybe it's the reverse. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to somebody who you know who's in pain and suffering so that you can be the reminder for that person that God is with them. If you're taking notes, it's that idea that we're not alone because God is with us in our pain. Like Ruth and Naomi, Naomi is so upset she changes her name to Mara. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She's so distraught and left like with what to do. But Ruth is there as this illustration that we are not alone, that God is with us. So if you're taking notes, the action step is to run toward God. And I say that because often, when we're in that place and we don't understand and when things seem unfair and we are struggling and it hurts and it's difficult, if you're like me, I want to withdraw. I want to isolate. I don't want to return that text message or that phone call. I don't want to take a friend or a neighbor up on the offer to hang out. I just want to be left alone. But if you're like me, then those thoughts come up and I just feel distant. I feel more in pain and hurt. And again, just that idea of sitting with somebody. My wife does a great job of this. I speak to her. She's got a beautiful gift. And again, just in this past week, she was able to just sit with some people that were struggling. She was able to bring them over to the house and just say, hey, how are you doing? And just be present. Be that reminder that although it seems like God is distant and he hasn't heard you, that he is with you. So we get to be that physical reminder for people. And it may just so happen, right, that God has somebody in your life. So run toward him. Reach out to that person. You know, go across the street. Go over and talk to a coworker. Whatever it may be that you sense that the Spirit is calling you to do, I would encourage you to do that. And that's a tough place, right? I mean, it's such a wonderful good news that God forgives us, right? That God is with us. Um, but our last point as we'll wrap it up, it's still difficult. And some of the work that I do, like I said, we work with kids that are in foster care. We work with children and adults that have disabilities. 
Uh, and I'm just heartbroken. More often than not, I'm asking God, I know you're there. I know that you are good. I don't get to be put in that position. I know that you love and that you forgive. But why? Why are these people in a position that is dark and appears hopeless? And, and there may never be resolution on this side of heaven. I struggle with that point. I know, again, he is there. and He hasn't left them nor forsaken them. And so if you're taking notes, it's the idea that it's not the end because God provides us hope and new life. I need that constant reminder uh, in the work that I get to do in the, in the people, not only with the staff that I oversee and the things that are coming up, uh, but we have a boy right now. He turned 17 last month. I've known this kid for four years. I got a chance to work with him before working at this group home. And in four years, myself and others have been working with him to try to find him an adoptive home. He has no contact with his family. There have been numerous efforts to try to get them engaged and nothing. And he's been in this group home for three and a half years. He knows he's getting closer to 18. And for the last two days, he's been gone. It's not characteristic of him. He's, you know, there are times maybe he's gone a little bit longer than normal, but not not two full days. And so I'm looking and saying, God, this kid has gone through enough. Now he's out there alone. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what hurt. And I look, I go, how, how is this going to be restored? How, what are we going to do? And I have to put my hope and my trust that this is not the end for him. That there is a greater story, that there is hope in new life. This is where the resurrection comes in. This is why we gather here on a Sunday to be reminded of that new life that God has given us. Not just once a year, but weekly. That we celebrate that all, although Jesus himself right, was betrayed, that the disciples didn't understand it. They thought he would be risen as king, that he would be you know, crowned there and then, that they left him, that they abandoned him, that he was in prison, he was left alone and isolated and shamefully put upon a cross and crucified, that was not the end of the story. Because he rose again, and he ascended, and he lives enthroned, right? I have to believe and entrust in that message. If you were here at Easter, uh, John shared with us, and I encourage you to look it up on YouTube, it's called Marky's Story. Uh, the band Elevation Worship did a, a story on him. I don't, I don't have the video, but you could look it up later. I don't have the video because I will weep through the video. I will just cry. Um, and if you were here, you know what I was talking about. But this young boy who was diagnosed with a, a skin disease from birth, and he's in constant pain. And yet he puts his eyes and fixes it upon Jesus, the hope and the resurrection. That this is not the end of the story, that one day he will be restored. He will be raised to new life, right? And so that's the God that we serve. The God that says, I am with you in your pain and suffering. You are not alone. I forgive you. But this is not the end. That's the hope that I need each and every day because sometimes it's so bleak, it's so dark, it's so challenging. What else do we have? And this is the greatest news, the greatest story, and so I, I pray that you would embrace it. I pray that you would take that step, that you would go into someone else's pain and suffering, that you would join them in that.
and be there and be present with them. Because if we're not doing it, how are these people? How is this young man? How are these folks going to know that there's a new, there's an alternative story? That God has something in store. And, and yes, this pain is real, but it's temporary. And there's a hope of new life. And there's a resurrection and a complete restoration. And that God desires to be with us so much so that he sent his son to restore it. And he's using you and I to enter into people's pain and suffering so that we can be the light of the world, so that we can bring that good news. And so as a review, if you're taking notes or just for these next steps, if you can put that up, wherever you're at, right? I mean, I'd encourage you to be challenged. John has put the chairs up on stage. I kind of stole that and thought, here's four points. Where Where is God calling you? What are the steps that God is asking you to do here this morning? Uh, Maybe it's as simple as recognize your sinfulness. Just that place to say, okay, I'm sick of trying to figure it out. You know, I'm not God. I didn't create things. I wasn't there. So I'm going to let God be God. I may not fully understand, but I'm going to just know, okay, I've messed up. and, And that's a good first step. And maybe you're saying, I'm ready to receive and accept God's forgiveness. You know, again, God is here. He's saying, as far as the east is from the west, your sins are forgiven. They're remembered no more. Maybe that's the step that God is asking you to take here this morning. uh, To just accept that free forgiveness. So that you can live life. That your debt is completely taken care of. Maybe you are just in the midst of some really challenging things. You're going through some just hurt, some real pain, some real suffering. You're not understanding. You're withdrawing and you're isolating. I encourage you to run toward God with whatever that you have. And I think that's just by, again, taking people up on their offer, reaching out, walking across the street, returning that text message, returning that phone call, Talking to a coworker, and maybe you know of somebody. Maybe you can run toward God by running toward that person, by being the tangible presence of God, just like Ruth did with Naomi, to be that reminder that God hasn't forsaken them, he hasn't forgotten them, that he loves them and he's with them. And lastly, that you can step into that person's pain and suffering. It's difficult It hurts. It's challenging. But again, Christ is the light of the world. We need to take this truth. We need to breathe it in. We need to rest. This is reality. That we serve a God who is raised. um, That lives. That our eyes are fixed upon heaven. Paul says that in Colossians. That that's where we should be fixated. And the more heavenly minded that we are, the more earthly good that we can do for those that are hurting. So wherever you're at, I encourage you to at least take some step toward God. And if you need, I'd be here afterward to talk to you, or we have wonderful people here that would love to connect with you. Uh, And so I just encourage you to do that. So let us pray. Father God, we we love you. Uh, We praise you for your goodness. Lord, for your grace and mercy. Lord, we're, we're just astounded that although 
uh, we're sinners. Although we don't have it together, although we're so tempted to put ourselves in your place, Lord, you still offer us that gift of salvation that you sent down, Lord, your son. You've completely forgiven us. As far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above the earth, Lord, our sins are no more. And Father God, I pray specifically if there are those out here this morning that are in the midst of pain, suffering, hurt, may they know that you are with them, that you haven't forsaken them, Lord, that there are men and women that you just so happen to place in their life to be that reminder that you faithfully stand with them, that you know their sorrows, Lord, and you haven't forgotten them. And Lord, for situations that seem hopeless, dark and without repair, Lord, we fix our eyes upon heaven. We fix our eyes upon where you are seated, enthroned on the right hand of God. Jesus, we pray that we would be resurrected people, that we would know that this is not the end, that you give us a newness of life, that you provide hope, And Lord, may we be willing and have the courage to step into someone else's pain and suffering. So give those here that strength to do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these truths. We thank you that you are good and that you are holy. We love you and we pray this, Jesus, in your name.